Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny will be welcoming back Rabbi Alana Zaman, who's the author of The Forever Letter. But this time, we're going to flip the script. Rabbi Alana will be interviewing Sunny about her latest book, Unhitched Unlock Your Courage and Clarity to Unstick Your Bad Marriage. Yeah. It's kind of a shameless self-promotion Friday, but we can do that because it's sunny in Seattle. And now we welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, attorney-turned-life coach, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing coaches, teachers, authors, and healers who are on a mission to encourage you, inspire you, and give you tools to live a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. All the good stuff. It is radio that positively <laughs> shines. Yes, and if you hear that, that is Rabbi Alana Zaman sighing into the microphone as we get started here today. Um, so, yeah, if you can't catch the show live, you can always access the show archives at 1150kknw.com. Um, you can also connect with me on Facebook. Um, I'm there by my name um, for my personal page, which I always invite people to connect with me there. Um, I've started trying to be more interactive on social media, so help keep me accountable and um, uh, pop up on my feed and, and keep me posting things so that I can get more comfortable with, uh, I guess, Facebook at this point. Um, maybe do Instagram and Twitter. I'm <laughs> I'm still trying to ease into this whole thing. <laughs> You're going to need like a social uh, assistant. Yeah, well, I think so. It's funny, you know, my mentor, Martha Beck, um, she talks about like for years how she just resisted social media. She hired like a Twitter coach that made her like tweet every day. And she said it was just like pulling teeth and she hated it. So she quit. And it's so funny how naturally when she just allowed it to organically develop this amazing thing. If you guys like Martha Beck, I want to make you aware of it. She does this thing called the gathering room. And it's basically a Facebook live once a week. I think it's on Sundays these days. And this is where she connects with the tribe. She talks for about 10 minutes about things that inspire her. And then everybody that wants to ask a question can ask a question. So that's the way that she has found to interact with folks on social media. Kind of like an open line or mm-hmm. online open forum type thing. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's basically. A cool idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's really cool. So that's the way that she felt. Um, that's the way that it mm-hmm. that led to her doing that from a place of joy and inspired action rather than get your freaking one hundred and forty word or whatever it is a two eighty now two hundred and eighty words on Twitter. Anyway, know. well, <laughs> so all that said, I my. Um, I'm feeling called, or not even called, like I've had the urge to start posting more and connecting with you guys on Facebook. So, oh, long story short, long story long, really, uh, connect with me on Facebook. <laughs> My name, Sunny Joy McMillan, but we also have a page for the show, Sunny in Seattle Radio. Um, my website where you can find out more about me and my business is goldenoversoul.com. And um, I, this is Shameless Self-Promotion Friday, so I'll mention it now and we'll probably mention it again during the show. But I have a website now set up for my book. Um, the book, um, as Benny mentioned in our wonderful intro today, Unhitched, <laughs> yes, Unlock Your Courage and Clarity uh, to Unstick Your Bad Marriage. And so if you want a free copy of that, um, I don't have print copies. They won't be out until later in the year or the summer at least and then won't hit bookstores until like December or even January 2019. But in the meantime, I want to spread this book as far and as wide as I possibly can. Get a free electronic copy. You can access it um, uh, um, via unhitchedbook.com. 
That's unhitchedbook.com. I've also got some little videos up there, um, you know, about how to decide whether to stay or go or, um, you know, dealing with fear as it comes up, all that good stuff. Um, And so I invite you to grab your free copy and share it with as many people as you um, as you want to who may benefit from it. So our, um, like Benny said, we are flipping the script today. So <laughs> You like that? Yes. <laughs> so I want to welcome back to the studio, always a treat in studio, Rabbi Alana Zaman. Thank you. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I know when you get the full applause. <laughs> I brought him in specifically for you. I love that. I love that. Yes. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. And you guys may remember Alana. She has been on the show before, and I'm actually going to pull up the date right now just because I want to. Okay, Friday, if you want to access it in the archives, it was Friday, December 22nd, 2017. Um, And so, Alana, I would love for you to share a little bit about yourself because you have a really interesting story. Um, I loved interviewing you. You have a fabulous book called The Forever Letters. So before we dive in, why don't you let people know who you are and how to get in touch with you if they want to after. So feel free to go to my website at uh, ilanazaman.com and uh, see more about what I'm up to and what I'm doing. But uh, basically, it's really writing a letter to uh, share your soul with the people you love and to deepen, heal, and uplift relationships. And it's about writing a letter, and it's also about communication surrounding that. Yes. And also, I just I always like to point this out. So if I remember correctly, and I should have reviewed my notes, so I do apologize. But you are you come from six generations of rabbis in your family and you are the first female rabbi in the family. This is true. That's pretty special. It is special. And also it was actually a little bit of a difficulty. You know, it was a little bit, of, but that's for another time. We'll, we'll go to that another time. Are you sure? Can, can we just, can you mind touching on it real fast? Because no, I love this it's, stuff. It's, um, it's uh, you know, as the first, I came from a more traditional upbringing uh-huh. in a very traditional conservative home. And then uh-huh. I came from a very orthodox day school uh-huh. because it was the only one that we could go to there. So we talk about religion, right? Yeah. In your book as well. And, uh, you know, as a woman, could I do this? Uh-huh. Could I take this step? And it, it, it really was a... Uh, you know, like, can I? Can't I? I'm told I can't, but can I? Because uh-huh. it became later. It only be, they be, only began to ordain women in 1984 in the conservative movement. Okay. And so it was really this uh, struggle a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, you seem to be doing things very gracefully <laughs> these days. You would never <laughs> thank know. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, um, that's awesome. Well, uh, Alana was so gracious, yes, to cut to offer to come back and interview me about my book. Um, and so I've been, there are a couple of other people. You guys may know Wendy Rose Williams, who has a fabulous show here on KKNW. Um, she will be coming back uh, later in the year. So we have these kind of strategically placed uh, throughout the year. So I will be plugging the book uh, probably for the next eight, nine months. So sorry, guys, get ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, all I want to say is thank you for letting me come to interview you, Wig, because I so enjoyed my interview with you. After we were standing in the hallway there, I was like, you know, let's get let's get you out there. And you had told me about your book. And I'm like, okay, I want to come back and and, and be there for you because it is so hard to self-promote. It really is. And you feel like, oh, what's arrogance and what's the really getting the message out? Yeah. And it's really, really hard. So thank you for letting me come to, to be here for you as you were there for me. Absolutely. It's such an honor. I mean, my gosh, Rabbi Zaman, my gosh, I know so many people in the community know who you are. And it's just, I mean, it's an honor for me to be sitting on this side with you asking the questions. Yay. <laughs> Mutual love fest. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Okay. So I just want to say I really um, loved your book. And the reason I did was because you are so welcoming. 
Uh, and it's not an easy topic. And yet you, the way you talk about it is really in a, a non-judgmental way, in an open way, um, really giving the reader a sense of, like, they're held, like loving mm -hmm. compassion and a gentle caring. And also there's a sense of humor. <laughs> and that, it just, it, the levity sort of really lightens it all up and makes it so special uh, because the topic's not an easy one. Mm -mm. So uh, tell, the, tell your audience what your book is about. Um, and yeah. who it's for. Yeah, well, so those who've been listening to the show for a while know that I am divorced. Um, I was with my ex-husband for 12 years. Um, I left the marriage. We got separated in 2011. Um, divorce proceedings started in 2012. Um, and it was a, you know, the, the title of the book is Unhitched, Unlock Your Courage and Clarity to Unstick Your Bad Marriage. And I always like to say, you know, you kind of, as you well know, Alana, from publishing, sometimes what goes in the title, you don't, it's more of a, uh, like a teaser or a, it's going to catch your attention and it's not necessarily the full story. So I would say mine was a hard marriage. Um, our first date ended in a fight, <laughs> which does not bode well uh, for going forward, but we were very uh, strong-willed attorneys, both of us. Well, at the time when we started dating, I was just applying to law school. But, um, you know, as we were together, I went to law school, uh, you know, took the bar, started practicing. Anyway, so we had a very contentious personality together, personality combination together. Um, and the thing is, I had a still small voice inside that told me, really, even during our dating relationship, Something is not quite right here, that it's not supposed to be this hard, um, and uh, that, that there are, it just always felt like so much friction. And I overrode my intuition. I overrode mm -hmm. the red flags because I thought that certain things like an appearance of perfection, um, having security, financial, or because I was raised in a conservative um, uh, community, uh, both religiously, politically, socially, all of the above, um, that the idea was that women got married and the man would be the head of the household and you would be taken care of mm -hmm. by that mm -hmm. man. And so uh, I, having been, you know, stewing in that, um, that soup, I guess, basically of those kind of beliefs mm -hmm. from the time I was little, both in school and in church and in this community, um, I kind of thought, okay, well, what's more, the, the most important thing here is having a life that looks perfect from the outside and making sure that I'm taken mm -hmm. care of and secure and all this. And well, he, he definitely will be able to do all of those things. And you know what? We connect. I really like the fact that we are challenge each other intellectually and we have similar values. And, um, so I, I just, I spent 12 years beating my head against the wall of knowing that something was not right for me mm -hmm. and overriding those intuitive red flags. So I wrote the book because I want other people to have permission and the empowerment to know that they can make a choice for themselves when it comes to their relationship that is more aligned with their heart and spirit than what they feel like they quote should do mm -hmm. or should stay with. Um, and so the book is, part memoir of my story and I try to be as honest as I can be about that and I'm, I, I lived mo much of my life hiding the parts of myself that I felt were not attractive you know but physically and metaphorically mm -hmm. um, I want to put it all out there because in spending all those years hiding 
not only is it exhausting, but you've got this tension between your essential self and your social self. And that, after a while, it creates stress in the body. It creates craziness in your head. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's impossible to maintain. So I want to allow people through the sharing of my honest story uh, to know that they have the, the uh, wherewithal, the permission, the, the power to do, to make the choices in their life they need to make. And the second part of the book is the process. I have a process, and it was a process that I stumbled through myself to get myself out of the marriage to heal not only myself, but the relationship with that ex-husband, where we now have a beautiful post-divorce, very loving friendship, um, and, and also just to come out the other side of the whole thing whole. This is what I went through. Uh, it took me about seven years to get to that point, and I've condensed it all into about eight steps, and the book meets you. Uh, if you're considering whether to stay or go, it's going to help you tune into the inner wisdom and get through the fear to make that decision. If you decide to go, it will give you options to get divorced gracefully and how to do that, how mm -hmm. I did that. And here's the other thing. Unsticking a bad marriage doesn't necessarily mean divorce. Mm -hmm. A lot of the tools in here can be used while you are still within the relationship to heal things. I can't, these are the tools that got me to the place where I am with my ex-husband we could have used them potentially in the marriage, but I'm just going to be really honest. It's And Alana, I'm actually saying this now for the first time with you <laughs> in this <laughs> interview. I, I would, I would uh, tiptoe around this, and I would say, well, it just wasn't the right relationship for me, or it, this mm -hmm. just wasn't my right life. But I'm going to be, I'm just going to say it. I adore my ex-husband. He is, he was a good man. Um, he provided well for us. But I do not love him in that way. Oh, God, mm -hmm. it's so hard to say that. Mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. choose not to be in that relationship with him because I do not feel that way about him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it makes, I'm like, this is I, the first time. I, I hear I, it. I hear it in your voice. It's <sighs> a big, it's a big, that's a big thing to say that. Yeah, yeah that's a hard thing to say because, yeah. gosh, you don't want to hurt someone. Right. But the truth is always kind because you know what? A lot of the conflict in my marriage stemmed from the fact that my husband was picking up on that energy of mm -hmm. me not wanting to be there mm -hmm. years before I left. Mm -hmm. And it hurt him mm -hmm. for, for, for mm -hmm. good reason. So um, <laughs> anyway, um, I, now I'm off on that tangent. But, the but book, it is hard. I think it is yeah. hard to, uh, you know, there is something about that. It's hard when we're not. <laughs> Benny, Benny just Benny. delivered <laughs> tissues. Thank you, Benny. Always on it. He's so amazing. I'm sensitive too. I understand. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard when we're not quite. We we don't know quite how to be honest with ourselves. Yeah. And it's hard when we're not because then we don't give the opportunity to to open that out. And it, I think it, this pertains to marriage and it pertains to just life in general. Yes. The the you talk in your book about the authentic self and then this health we sort of just. You know, the social self itself we hide or yeah. uh, whatever it is. And th that self, that authentic self to, to emerge, it's really, it takes a long, sometimes a lifetime. People don't even get there until they're, you know, midlife or yes. midlife crisis. And what is that? And we keep reinventing ourselves over time and we keep changing. Yes. And to be honest with who we are on that path. Yes. So. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I open the book with, as you're saying that, because when you, to your point that people sometimes spend a lifetime trying to figure out who that self is, or potentially they suspect who that self is, but they are not brave enough mm. to put that self forward in their life. And um, I open the book with a, 
I was listening to a summit online, and it was a best self summit. And the woman was talking about a study done with palliative, a palliative care worker. Mm. And the number one, and of course, a palliative care worker, um, I didn't know what that word was. <laughs> I had to look it up, but you know, hospice type care, so end of life care. So um, the number one regret that they heard uh, consistently was that the person was sad that they had not lived aligned with their heart and spirit. Mm-hmm. They had lived according to the shoulds. And I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, I could have stayed in that life that looked really good, that social self-life mm-hmm. that looked perfect from the outside. But I was not being honest and living according to my heart and spirit. And you know what? It's, it's risky because I didn't know what was on the other side of it. But I'm telling you, living aligned with your heart and spirit, if you feel supported by the universe, you know, if you feel supported generally, that's the way to go, man. It really is. <laughs> it really is. It reminds me of this Hasidic tradition where there was this um, rabbi, I think Rabbi, and now I'm forgetting who, which rabbi, which Hasidic rabbi it was, but it was, the idea was there was Moses, uh, this this young, this man was um, Zosia, mm. and Zosia is, you know, uh, about ready to go up and to heaven and whatever else, and he's like, you know, uh, they're, you know they're not going to ask me why I wasn't Moses. They're going to ask me why I wasn't Zosia. Oh. Right, so so like be yourself, and we all struggle. I mean, I think it's a struggle all over since the time we're kids. What do yes. we do? Our parents sort of have visions for us of who we should be. Yes, and do we fit into those visions? And you, as you wrote, wrote about in your book, this idea of growing up in a certain, you know, Christian family mm-hmm. and expectations around the religious mm-hmm. uh, behavior and faith, and mm-hmm. all of that sort of helps us or guides us, and it gives us a great uh, vessel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also sometimes gives us messages that make it hard to then come out of, as you so beautifully describe in your book. Yeah, I call it so. the marriage story because, mm-hmm. you know, from um, from a brain science perspective, from the time when we're babies, I think like age zero through two, I think we're like in delta brainwave state, and then two through seven, we're in theta, and all that basically means is long, slow brainwaves where we're very susceptible to uh, information that's coming in, which is by design. You're a little person. You need to learn how to be a human. You need to learn how to survive. So we're just absorbing, absorbing, absorbing from the people around us. But the the when it's great if your parents are perfect and everything is, you know, <laughs> you are perfectly supported and they give you, you know, freedom to be the person you want to be. But I, that's not normally how it, it ends up. And so we end up adopting the whatever your family of origin, religion of origin, all that, we end up absorbing a lot. So by the time you hit adulthood, if your values have shifted, mm-hmm. you've got these two competing. You've got the marriage story of your youth, which for me, you know, man is the head of the household uh, in the Christian faith that the, the, the uh, churches or Sunday school, you know, divorce is not an option, mm-hmm. those kind of things. So I carried that. And then at the same time, I've got these values in a, as an adult going, I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. I want out. I actually want to create something myself and not have my husband be the the prime uh, breadwinner in the family. What? How do I? What do I do with those two? So you really have to examine the thoughts that you are carrying into adulthood. Some of which I find with my clients, they don't even realize are there, and it's causing so much internal conflict mm-hmm. as they're trying to make a decision for their heart and spirit, and yet it conflicts with the marriage story of their childhood. So I talk a lot about dissolving. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful if your marriage story aligns from family of origin all the way through to adulthood. If it doesn't, I give, um, uh, I work with clients on this and in the book I also describe the process, mm-hmm. how to dissolve those stories or those beliefs such that you can move forward in a clear, brave way. Mm. And you do so 
you do so really beautifully. Oh, I must you. say, you really do. <laughs> so, do you think that this book would be a? Um, is it useful to women and men, or who's it geared to? So that's an interesting question. Um, so I I worked with a writing coach or a writing mentor. She's amazing, um, and I'm happy. Her name is Angela Loria. Um, she has a very specific process for writing a book. I'd, I'd never written a book before, and I knew that for me, I work best with deadlines and accountability, so I needed that to finish this book. And I was so incredibly pleased with her process. So part of her process has you writing the book as a love letter to a one singular person. Mm. It's counterintuitive, but by being more specific, you actually become more general. And so I wrote this. To yourself? I did. Yes. (laughs) I had a feeling. I do. (laughs) This is a love letter to my former self, the self that was in her mid-20s who Mm. thought that externals like money and education would protect me and make me feel better about myself, the self that thought that I needed a second person to feel complete, that marriage was a must, that mm-hmm. I had to partner up or I would be a pariah in my community. All, all of those, those limit, I call, I, those were fearful limiting beliefs mm-hmm. at the time that were not reflective of my truth. I didn't even know what my truth was at the time because I had just adopted everybody else's. Um, but yeah, um, it was, it's written to her. So the voice of the book, I think, will connect more with women, mm-hmm. for sure. But I have had several men read it who have reached out who said that, you know, if they can get past it, you know, it being definitely having a female energy, that the tools and the processes and the story mm. can be helpful for anyone. Mm. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I was really moved by some of the stories you shared in your book, a lot of them. Yeah. And I was just, I found you know, your, your your friend Brooke. Yes. Oh, my yeah, gosh. My college and, friend. Uh, and when you told her that you were thinking of leaving your marriage, her response was, okay, my dear, let me know how I can support you. Yes. And um, I was like, wow. And I just paused there. And you didn't take that further. I mean, you let it stand Mm-hmm. on its own for itself. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking with that, first of all, it's uh, that's what you're doing in this book, mm-hmm. right? You are supporting others as she supported you with those mm-hmm. beautiful words. And I was also struck by how this is a message for um, everyone um, in terms of how do you respond to someone when someone's in pain or in suffering, right? Oftentimes we try to want to fix it or we yes. say, you know, um, you should change or, oh, make it work. Or um, we don't often respect another person's decision if we think it's not the right decision for them. Right. So what that really struck a chord is like, you know what? No. How do we better support the people in our lives who need support? And maybe they're really struggling and there's there's tension and we don't want to see it ourselves because it might maybe it makes us uncomfortable because, oh, what about our marriage? Oh, right. Yeah. So I just thought that that story was so powerful. And it really is almost like the it really is what you do in the book. You are that holder. Uh-huh. For um, for for this and and you know I have a sense like you know if if someone comes up to you and says you know I'm I'm really having trouble in my marriage you'd be like ah, um, can't say that on the radio okay <laughs> okay got you covered there Rabbi. thank you very you much podcast Low yes but... self esteem <laughs> low self esteem future <laughs> one get out of jail free card that's it I know Benny can dump it before it hits. Okay. Well, see now they're hearing that later okay. <laughs> Secrets out. Oh, no, man. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Okay. No, it's okay. The sense of self is really at a low place. And so how does that, you know, you really talk about growing this sense of self. So how do you, 
how do you how do you how do you how do you get through some of those um, turbulent times of low self-esteem to sort of lift up into I mean the tools but how do you really like inside you like what did mm. what did you do to really sort of it's so hard and people out there are not always so welcoming as this one friend of yours was yeah. and so what did you do to sort of bolster yourself to to make it through so that well it's a gosh that's a mini part answer um alana um i will say that brooke particularly this friend and the story that that Ilana is referencing in the book is I this was at the right before I got separated really or pretty close and I'd called a college friend and I will tell you the reason I called her is because four or five years prior she she was the first of my co- well the first group of college friends to get married you know and we're from the south so people got married you know in their early right after college basically and so this friend Brooke had shared with me that her marriage wasn't all sunshine and roses. And this was the first friend. I know it doesn't sound revolutionary because now I think women have a lot more permission. And I think especially, um, it also depends on your community. But in, she was the first friend of mine to admit that her marriage was not perfect. Mm-hmm. And that vulnerability really stuck with me. And I thought, oh, so she, of course, was the first one I approached and said, look, I'm thinking I, I know I'm going to leave my marriage. And she, of course, was just open arms and didn't, no judgment. So the self-esteem component or the self-worth component, actually, it, it was so scary because when I left my marriage, my entire self-worth consisted of my husband's success, like the money that he earned in our homes and all of you know the fancy stuff, my clothes and all of those things. And my education. And I was basically like a little shriveled turtle. And the shell of those Mm -hmm. externals was what kept me safe. So when I left the marriage, and for reasons I won't go into on the air, but I talk about it in the book. But I left without any guarantee. Even though my husband was incredibly financially prosperous, I'd given up my rights to our community estate. Um, And so I knew when I left, I wouldn't have that armor anymore. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't going to practice law. I actually was, I worked the register at a friend's food truck. Wow. And some of the old attorneys from my firm showed up for lunch and they were like, what the heck is happening? <laughs> so it really, it was a, I took the house to its foundations, wow. basically. Wow. And I didn't know what it was going to take to build up a solid house, but I, I considered it like a moldy house before because it was not made of real things. It was mm. made of illusions in our physical reality of money and of education. I knew it had to come from somewhere else. And what I've discovered over the past, you know, six, seven years is that my worth for me personally, Mm -hmm. this isn't for everyone, comes from my connection to my creator. Mm -hmm. It comes from source. And when I know who I am as a divine, magnificent, spiritual being, that is when I know I don't, nothing else matters. None of the externals matter. 
Now, I'll tell you, even today, you notice in the intro to the show, I'm just getting all kinds of honest here today, Ilana. I knew this would happen with you. (laughs) You notice in the intro to the show, I still say attorney turned life coach Mm -hmm. because I still Mm -hmm. have insecurities about not being an attorney. And I'm these things I'm shedding. Mm -hmm. You may notice my show intro changes in the next Mm -hmm. three or four months because I'm really becoming aware of this. And it just but I'm turtle stepping it, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's for anyone else out there. I had to find ways to connect with who I was, not just as a human, but as, you know, uh, uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. We are spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings having a spiritual experience. I had to tap into the spiritual being. And mm-hmm. by doing that, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, nothing else mattered. So that's so that for me is how I built up the self-esteem. And from that place, it is so much easier to help hold space for other people. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> I'm in my own, well, I will say, I'll say this and then I'll, we'll go into a break. Um, so many people live their life trying to change the people around them because they think if they change the people and the circumstances around them, then they will feel better. The truth is we spend so much of our time outside of our own business um, that we end up not even living our own life. And I like Byron Katie talks mm-hmm. about this, I think, the most beautifully. She talks of three types of business. There's our business, which is you and your little being, or big being, whatever it is. Uh, then there's other people's business. That's everyone else, humans that are not you. And then there's God's business. And she doesn't mean God in the sense of, you know, someone with a beard in the sky. I think she just means reality or what is outside of human control. And so many humans spend much of their life in other people's business. And if you think about them as three Mm -hmm. little buckets, if you were standing in someone else's bucket, trying to control what they're doing, judging what they're doing, worried about what they're doing, who is in your bucket living your life? No one. And so to me, I can easily stay in my bucket when I uh, am staying in my own lane, worrying about my own spiritual evolution and development, what I'm doing on this earth to support that. Um, And then everyone else, whatever happens in their bucket is not my business. Mm -hmm. And from that place, I can move forward with peace as opposed to stress and depression and anxiety because this person isn't making the choice that I think that they should make. And you know what I found? I used to try to control the heck out of my ex-husband. I, it, he refused, I'll just use this as an example. He refused to wear a seatbelt and it drove me up the freaking wall. But you know what? Why is that my business? It is his sole journey. If he's to die in a car accident from not wearing a seatbelt, that is not my business. That is his journey. So when I backed off of that completely and I just said, I don't care anymore, mm-hmm. all of a sudden he started wearing his seatbelt. Mm. It was bizarre, and I've noticed that now in so many instances. That's a really mm. simplistic example, but it, I found it to be the case in so many instances. So that was a really long-winded answer of saying that's how I got the self-worth and the self-esteem, mm-hmm. and that is how um, I try to hold space for my clients without judgment or those who share their story with me. So thank you for sharing that, and I yeah. really think that um, you know that, that whole idea is fascinating, and I ho- mm-hmm. the whole idea about... Um, uh, this, you know, when we stay in our own box and look at our own self, mm-hmm. then we're not out there judging other people. And it's so much easier to go out there and judge and fix and make people conform to who we want them to be than it is to be in our own box and see who we ourselves are and really access that divine as you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. 
on that note, we're going to take our break. Um, you are listening to Sunny in Seattle. Um, we're doing reverse hosting today. So I'm here with Rabbi Alana Zaman, who was gracious enough to come into the studio and uh, draw some information out of me about my book. Um, I'm your host, Sunny Joy, uh, with Benny on the board, and we will be back in just a few. Are you ready to get unstuck from a bad marriage and embrace your best life? If you're anything like me, you may have spent years creating a life that looks pretty good on paper. There's just one problem. Your marriage is unhappy and unfulfilling, but you're too scared to trade your comfortable life for a future full of unknowns. In my new book, Unhitched, I will give you the tools you need to make the right decisions about your marriage, as well as the confidence that your future can be better and brighter than you can even imagine. I share my own very personal story, and I will guide you through a clear process that will enable you to answer the question, should I stay or should I go? It's a process that will help you tune out fears and unwanted advice, and instead tune into your own intuition and inner wisdom, as well as exit a marriage gracefully and feel secure about your future. Get ready to trade confusion and stagnation for your best life. Unhitched, unlock your courage and clarity and unstick your bad marriage. Available for pre-order today on Amazon.com. After countless tries to find healing for a devastating low back pain, Dr. Andy Marone met with his mentor and discovered a balance and clarity he never thought possible. He left his job as a software engineer and began a lifelong journey of learning the power of quality chiropractic care and enzyme nutrition and never looked back. He believes in not just treating pain, but removing roadblocks and paving the way to a happy and healthy life. Join Dr. Andy's Wellness Corner, Mondays from 9 to 10 a.m. on Seattle's Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. To buy your home, you became a house hunting ace. Learned about loans, scoured neighborhoods, and asked the right questions. Now you're queen of your castle. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll feel empowered to own your retirement like you own your home. Go to aceyourretirement.org. Because when it comes to clearing financial hurdles, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Well, hi, I'm Rebecca Callahan. I host a show each and every Wednesday at 1 p.m. called Soulful Synchronicity. I want you to start noticing those synchronicities that are happening every day in your life. Plus, I'm here to help you empower yourself to find that happy you might have only dreamt of before, but so richly deserved. Let's grow together, shall we? Look for it. Soulful Synchronicities with me, Rebecca Callahan, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. right here on 1150 KKNW. Notice anything different? You should. There's no other station like Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Hello, welcome back. <laughs> it's the first time I've ever done something like that. That was fun. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> welcome back to your show, Sunny. Yes, I know. You're listening to Sunny <laughs> in Seattle. That is Rabbi Zayman bringing us back from the break. <laughs> well done, well done. Uh, yes, exactly. And we're talking about Unhitched, yes. Sunny's new book, yes. soon to uh, come out uh, early next year. And... Yeah. Um, and she's giving free copies uh, currently at unhitchedbook.com, unhitchedbook.com. So get your free copy before you'll have to purchase one. This yeah. is something and pass it around because this is an important message that uh, everyone really needs to hear. Thank you. So um, in your book, you mentioned something about a God box. Oh, yeah. And I just found that interesting. Can you tell your <laughs> listeners what that's about? Okay, so there's a chapter in the book um, on, um, you know, visioning for your future. Because 
I will say that when people are in the throes of divorce or the should I stay or should I go and, the, you know, where the conflict or the trauma has really reached a crescendo, um, for the people that come into my office in that space, it is very hard to even see past where you are at that moment. And I get that. But one of the things when I was, when I finally got separated and I had this tiny little studio apartment, my dog and my cat with me, um, I had found the writing of Dr. Martha Beck, and there was this exercise in one of her books where it had you basically from your most essential self fill in the blanks uh, for what your future was going to look like, where you would be living, what your Mm. home would look like, who would be surrounding you, who you would love, who you would be loved by, all of these things. And I filled that thing out, and I I carry it with me to this day, Rabbi Zaman. Um, And it it was one of those things that was a touchstone for me because when things got really high conflict and really icky and I didn't know what the future would hold, there was some part of me that knew Mm. that what I'd filled out on that page was a potential. Mm. And if I could just keep moving forward in the direction that my heart and my spirit were leading me, I would land in that place ultimately. So I have a chapter in the book on how to create a vision for your future because sometimes it is hard to get there when you're in deep pain, and that's okay. But for the moments when you have enough energy to think about where you want to go, having that vision mm-hmm. creates the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, it's a light that you create. So I, I will be very honest. I know a lot of people out there vision board. I don't know why. I just, vision boarding has just never been my jam. Uh, I try, <laughs> <laughs> but I, and I, have, I see my mentors that create these great vision boards, and I know that they work, <laughs> but I just don't do it. So I have included in the book several different, um, if you want to call them manifestation or creativity tools that really help you vision forward. And for someone like me, where vision boarding, we're creating this board is not really my thing. The God box, and I can't take credit for this. I've, I've heard it from several different sources. And to be honest, I don't know who originated it. But it's basically a container. It could be a jar. It could be a beautiful, ornate wooden box. It could be a tiny cardboard box. It doesn't matter. Shoe box. doesn't matter. But it, you keep it in a place in your home that is very, that you pass by regularly, you know, in your foyer, in your kitchen. And you put in that things that you come across throughout your day that give you that, um, I love how Tosha Silver calls it, the inner sponda. Mm. It's like this leap of inner joy. It lights you up. It gives you a tingle in your spine. It, it gives you desire to move toward it. So it could be a ticket for a concert that you really want to go to. Mm. It could be a flower that your beloved gave you on a walk. It could be um, a picture of a rainbow that you took that was a particularly magical moment where you felt connected to a higher power. I mean, it doesn't matter, but it's, and, and then also pictures of things. Say that there's a magazine and there's this beautiful home and you're like, wow, I'd love to live in a home like that someday. Mm. Put that in there. It could be anything that gives you happiness and joy. And basically you look at that box after several months and you get a really nice picture of your essential self you get a picture, perhaps some common threads. Like I had a client who did this, and it's so funny. At the end of the time period when we were monitoring this, the box was filled with nature stuff. She was mm. like, wow, not only am I not spending enough time in nature, but I know that nature is a part of my mm. forward trajectory. Like I need to involve it either in my work or on a volunteer basis or something that was more regular than what she was currently doing, and she found a way to do that. 
So this God box is a way not only to collect things that bring you joy and, you know, quite frankly, it even can can become a gratitude practice as well Mm -hmm. because you're looking back. Oh, that concert was so amazing. And so it's just it's a way to uh, vision for your future. One of several I mentioned in the book and I think completely necessary so that when you're in the dark times, you can have something pulling you forward. That's great. That's great. I would, I would, you know, sometimes I, since I work with letters, part of me is like, oh, wow, I'd put letters into those Oh, box. yes, you know, you like go. letters, special letters that I could read at those times. Yes. Um, that maybe helped envision me into a better future. Yes. But I loved your story about the client because it's not only then putting things aside that, that help us, but it's also, um, if we look back at it, perhaps realizations come to us that we didn't even realize. Yes. And that is really, uh, that's a great thing. And it's a tool for anybody at any point in life. You know, how do you want to envision yourself forward? We all need to envision ourselves forward. I'm expanding your book even yes, outward. Yes, Because I, I think it. it has so many lessons, <laughs> uh, not just for someone who might be going through a divorce or thinking about it, but for, but for you know, the world at large. Yeah. So wonderful pieces. So, Thank you. Um, can you tell us a little more about, you spent some time in the book talking about the gut brain. Oh, yeah. And I was like, okay, okay, gut brain. It's uh, yes. combining sort of head and heart into one kind of uh, word yeah. there. So what what is that about? Yeah, so it's interesting. I think um, our culture um, for so many years has been really revolving around the brain our, in our head. And, you know, Descartes, I think, therefore, I am. And so there was this which is awesome. I mean, there was a there was a place for it in history that was necessary because of some other things that were happening at that time. And I think it's wonderful that reason and rationality came into play. However, it is grossly overdone now, and it doesn't include things that we now know from scientific discovery that is available to us that we didn't know back then. And two of those things that have particularly stand out to me are the other brains in our body, specifically the heart brain and the gut brain. And I think a lot of people, you've heard the phrase, trust your gut. And there's a reason for that, because we have trillions of neurons, uh, you know, in our body, but there is a huge concentration of them in the gut. There's also a huge concentration in the heart. And so, um, and just for example, the heart, the electromagnetic field of the heart is 6,000 times more powerful than that of our brain. The brain, um, our heart sends our brain more information than vice versa. Same thing in the gut brain. We've got this wonderful um, uh, tool in the gut that can really help us make decisions from a place that's not just a pro or con list from our head. Um, Our gut can guide us in a way that our brain can't. Our heart can guide us in a way that our brain can't. And for a long time, I didn't really understand Mm. when people say live from your heart. I am just now beginning to understand what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And if you want more information, I think the, the, uh, the research they're doing at the Heart Math Institute is phenomenal. And they have some wonderful tools where you can actually uh, monitor the coherence between your head and your heart and the rest of mm-hmm. your body. And when you have coherence, and this is just like frequency of waves in the body is the way that I like to think of it. When you have coherence between your head and your heart, for example... It releases this cascade of wonderful mm. chemical reactions that support health, longevity, immune function, cardiovascular function. It puts us in a space of love, which if you go into a stressful encounter, I mean, what do you just like, what do you think? If you're going in from a heart-based place where you're coherent between your head and your heart versus completely frazzled in your head, how do you think you're going to respond in a better way from what? So it's just mm. there's so many tools we can access in the body, and now we have science behind it to really back up how we can do that and 
I, for so many years, the reason it's relevant to the book is because for the first 30 some odd years of my life, I only used my head. My head said, you should marry someone who is successful. You should marry someone where your life will look perfect. You should do, you should get an education in law because then you'll feel better about yourself. All of these things. If I had followed my gut on all of that, I would have made vastly different decisions. Mm. Now, I wouldn't change anything, quite frankly. I'm so happy to have my law degree. I'm so blessed to have had the life I had with my ex-husband. However, I did override gut instincts to get there. And so when I left, I'll just wrap up this story with, when I left, I had this little lithograph. It was an eight and a half by 11 that said, trust your gut. And I hung it on every fridge Mm. and every single little (laughs) tiny studio I rented as I was leaving the marriage, Mm. separated, divorced, and even I, I have it with me today. So trust your gut. And uh, you're, we all keep learning how to do that. We learn, and then I think sometimes we unlearn, and then we have to relearn. It's, yes. It's kind of a process. Absolutely. And what you had shared with me earlier before we came into the studio was that, you know, sometimes we can't get to that place unless we've lived a certain experience yes. first. And so we're grateful for the experiences we have, even though they might not have been the gut experience per se, but somehow going through that experience, as you say, sort of takes us ultimately to that truth, which we might not have gotten to had we not gone through some pain or suffering or some different experience along the way. Absolutely. You know, I I know everybody has different theories on this, but I I do believe that we, before we incarnate into these bodies, that we are... uh, choosing certain potentials for our life and certain experiences. So I'm still figuring out, you know, the interplay of those potentials versus what we do when we're here on earth and that Mm. kind of a thing. So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to have lived the experience that I had so that I can sit where I am with you today Mm. and speak about it Mm -hmm. (laughs) from some experience. (laughs) So you talk about self-compassion. Yes. And self-love and how does one get there? <laughs> I mean, I, I sometimes struggle with this issue, too, and I, I know there's so many now classes and um, groups and everything on meditation and self-love in meditation and mm-hmm. how do we get to the place where we feel good about who we are, especially in this world today where, you know, depending on all the different situations in which we find ourselves, you know, well, you're not good enough here, you're not good enough there. How do you get to that place especially when you're coming from such a hard place, when you're feeling lower about yourself. How do you get to that place of self-love and compassion? So for me, it, it's a practice. It started as a deliberate, consistent practice of monitoring my self-talk and really exploring who I was as a spiritual being. Um, so I, I'm going to butcher this story because I can't remember if it was the Dalai Lama or if it was just another... Uh, master from the East. But uh, let's just say it was the Dalai Lama, and I apologize. Please email me later, correct me, or I'll (laughs) Google it after we're off the show. But so let's, uh, His Holiness is visiting, and someone asked him a question through a translator, uh, you know, how do we deal with, it was something about self-hatred, and this was in the West. Mm -hmm. And his response, he was, it was very confused, and they had to go back and forth with the translator because this concept of not loving self, of self-hatred, of self-criticism was completely foreign to his holiness. Like, this is not a concept. I think, I want to say, I think in the West it may have some um, puritanical roots, perhaps. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but uh, this idea that we have such critical negative self-talk, that we are just mm-hmm. horrific to ourselves— 
apparently that's not a worldwide phenomenon. And so knowing that that is the case, it's like, what can we do mm-hmm. to peel back the layers of what I'll call garbage of, of negative self-talk to get to our true, magnificent, worthy being? So um, if you want the science behind this, Dr. Kristen Neff uh, at the University mm-hmm. of Texas on self-compassion our bodies really respond in a negative way when we talk poorly to ourselves. the same way as if you're getting yelled at by your boss. Our bodies are going to respond in a stress response, which over time, that's terrible. So if you have negative self-talk during the day, many times a day, just think about how much stress that's creating in your body. So monitor your self-talk. Monitor the tone that you're using, mm-hmm. um, using a soft, kind tone like you would use with a child. That's something to consider Um, Also, looking at the content Um, instead of if, let's say, you make a mistake at work and let's say it was me. Oh, Sonny, you're so stupid. I can't believe you did that. You're always messing up. Instead of that saying, huh, darling, Sonny, you are human. You're doing the best you can. You did the best you could in that situation and you've learned some lessons here. And we're going to just try to do even better in the future. Mm -hmm. Just those switches. Mm -hmm. That's that to me is the first and foremost thing. And then. You know, if you really want the person who turned around my views on self-love, because I used to think it was such a silly, fluffy, ridiculous, coachy blech, concept <laughs> until. Well stated. Yeah. Blech, self-love. No. Uh, then <laughs> then I um, began following Anita Morjani, who had, I think, mm-hmm. one of the most powerful near-death experience stories that's available to us today that involves some intense physical healing with it. She has a memoir called Dying to Be Me. Um, Read that. She credits self-love. She credits lack of self-love with why she got cancer and fear as well. And then self-love and recognizing who she really is um, with her ability to turn that around um, from uh, in-stage lymphoma. So in any event, yeah, there's, there's a lot of resources out there. So I think it's a practice, and I also think it's a matter of connecting with who we really are. So um, I know we're, we're getting nearer yes, to the end, yes. and uh, this has been so lovely. Uh, and so I'm thinking of what, um, you know, all marriage is a leap of faith, oh, right? Gosh. I mean, it really is a leap of faith. <laughs> so how do you know um, How do you know when the leap is worth taking? Whew. Right? I mean, <laughs> you, you kind of knew that the leap wasn't, wasn't worth taking with the small self. Yeah. But the authentic, I mean, with the, with the authentic yeah, I, I self, right, with the authentic self, you knew the leap wasn't worth, worth taking. But with the small self, you just said, I'm going anyway. Yeah. So can you give advice and guidance to people who might be thinking of, you know, do I jump in? Do I not jump in? How do I go about it? How do I let the authentic self speak yeah. as opposed to the small self? And, um, yeah. you know. Is there is there guidance there or I I I probably I I mean I can only speak from my experience and um, there are those out there who have far more experience in marriage and family therapy have had their own experiences with you know a fifty year marriage that's been awesome so only from where I sit two things on that number one you know I've been with my current partner for almost seven years now. And we don't have any intention of getting married. And I have um, a higher level of connection, intimacy, and commitment with him than I feel like I ever did with my husband, even though we were formally married and that was recognized by the state and, you know, family and friends who were there and everything. So um, I really like the vows of uh, Abraham Hicks talks about, if you follow Abraham Hicks. uh, I like you pretty good so far. Let's see how it goes, Uh, which that doesn't work for everyone. 
Um, that's kind of my own personal view of marriage. Now, if, if marriage is something that is important to you, if I were to give any advice on that, it would be, um, number one, why are you getting married? So really getting honest. If it is because you want to partner up so you have a double income, okay, fair enough. If that is something that's important to you, go for it. Uh, if you're doing it to please your family and you have awareness and that still is, is meaningful to you, uh, go for it. If, if though, you in, are like I was and there is something in like an, a wild animal in your chest saying, what the heck are you doing? Then that perhaps is something to consider. And if you have some fears and you're entering it for perhaps reasons that are not your own, um, I would say maybe step back a little bit mm-hmm. and make sure that you are honoring your essential self in whatever decision you make. And I also call it following the freedom. Um, if going into the marriage makes you feel supported and free in your most authentic self, fantastic. But if you feel, you know, true love should liberate us. If you feel like, oh, I'm going to lose a part of myself, I'm going to lose some of my energy, I'm going to lose who I really am and have to put that in a box or hide it. Mm. Mm, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Something to think about. And uh, probably our last yeah. question, yeah. maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I, now I spaced out. <laughs> I had a great last oh, question. No, no, we've got yes, like, now about, I know. Yeah, now okay. I know. Okay. Um, you're, um, so writing a book is a big deal and it can be fraught with a lot of uh, ups and downs and how do I say this and what do I do? And yeah, it also could be, incredibly exciting on some level because you learn stuff about yourself that you might not have learned or been able to sort of articulate. So that's Mm -hmm. where we're writing something sometimes helps us, you know, articulate something that we might not have gotten to otherwise. So uh, do you have uh, something specific that you can point to of your greatest learning lesson for your internal self uh, from writing the book? Uh, Honestly, it's a very practical one. Knowing that I have to show up for my body, for my body to be the vessel through which spirit can come through onto the page. Mm. So meaning I learned very quickly that to be able to finish this book and to bring forth the best that I could, I had to really honor my body and its rhythms. Mm. Some days I couldn't write anything and I'm not going to write from a place of forced Mm. uh, energy. I would rest myself, do things, go walk in nature, go for a run to get energy moving, and then write from a place of inspiration. So that's And that applies to my work in general and not just writing. Mm. And that does bring us to the end of the hour. Rabbi Zaman, I just can't tell you what an honor it's been. And I knew you asked such good questions. I loved our conversation. Thank <laughs> me you. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for letting me interview you. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so we're going to have you back on. And we'll just we'll have to interview each other about whatever we're doing at the time. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Okay, so you've been listening to Sunny in Seattle. Check out Rabbi Alana Zaman's book, The Forever Letter. It is a beautiful way to connect with your loved ones, especially as we're going into Father's Day this weekend. Uh, Join me next week for an author roundtable with some amazing women. Uh, You've been listening to Sunny in Seattle. Sunny Joy, signing off.